Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. In our pluralistic society, for most of us, our neighbors and coworkers hold political convictions that differ from our own. And in a time when politics has become particularly polarized, we may find that there aren't that many places where we can come together with those neighbors that differ from us and where we can connect around something in common. One place where we might come together to connect is in sports. Even in politically charged D.C., I can take my kids to watch the Nationals, for example, and we can relax, we can enjoy the game itself, but we also can enjoy that sense of camaraderie that comes with cheering on the local team. But is that changing? Is politics starting to seep too much into sports? We're joined today by Jennifer Bryson, founder of a new initiative called Let All Play. Dr. Bryson studies and is engaged in policy advocacy related to religion, political freedoms, and sports. She has a BA from Stanford University in political science, an MA from Yale University in history, and a PhD from Yale in Arabic and Islamic studies. She lives in D.C. where she roots for the Washington Spirit and D.C. United, loves riding her bicycle, and attempts to play badminton. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Jennifer. Thank you for this opportunity. And I confess, I don't know who the Spirit is. That is our D.C. area women's professional soccer team in the National Women's Soccer League. Okay, great. Well, so how did you get interested? I think I kind of have a clue with that bio that you, you're interested in sports in general. So how did you get interested, though, in that the intersection of sports and religious freedom? So there were two events that really catalyzed my interest. The first was in 2011 in the qualifying matches for women's soccer for the Olympics. And in a match that was about to play between Jordan and Iran, The referee wouldn't let the Iranian women's team play because of the head covers with their uniforms. And the Iranian women were wearing a hijab for religious reasons. And I thought, that's not fair. And I also thought, well, if sports becomes a place where you can't be a religious person, then sports will no longer play this important role of being for everybody in society. So I researched it. Uh, wrote an article on it called The Hijab Hurdle in Sports, discovered that the soccer regulations were very poorly written. Somebody just hadn't really thought about religion. And a few years later, FIFA did change their rules. FIFA governs international soccer. And this has made a difference for Muslim women, Orthodox Jewish men, and Sikh men in soccer. For example, in Israel, after the rule change, Israeli minor league soccer allowed Orthodox Jewish men to play soccer wearing a kippah, a religious head cover. So this is good news. And also now international basketball has changed its rules on religious headgear. The next catalyst came in 2017 in May. As you can tell already, I'm a big fan of women's soccer. So I saw a press release from the U.S. Soccer Federation saying that they were going to require the national men's and women's teams in Pride Month during June in 2017 to wear an LGBT rainbow on the USA jersey. And I thought, but what if somebody doesn't want to wear it? That's not fair. And that got me involved in two years of researching and writing on that topic. And this has all led to this new initiative, Let All Play. And the name of that 
seems to imply that not all are being permitted to play. And you're kind of hinting at how people are being excluded and different can be excluded in sports. But can you say a little bit more? What's what's happening now? What's happened since 2017? So we are seeing more of this. And you're right that I named my initiative Let All Play because I want soccer to be for everybody, regardless of their political or religious views. Soccer is one of our last bastions of being able to participate together in civil society, regardless of our viewpoints. Since 2017, the U.S. Soccer Federation has continued this practice and again in 2018 required the national team, men and women, to wear an LGBT rainbow on the uniform. In 2018, also Ireland, uh, their men's team required players to wear an LGBT rainbow on the national uniform. Um, Also in 2017, England, uh, their women's team required the women to wear LGBT rainbow laces on their cleats. And technically speaking in soccer, the laces are part of the uniform. It's called the kit. And also there have been instances of players and fans objecting. There was a Christian player in the U.S. who's a Protestant Christian, a woman who was called up to play for the national team. And she declined to play and later on stated in an interview with a a Christian broadcaster that it was because of her faith that she felt that she shouldn't wear a symbol that symbolized uh, something, including political policies that she disagreed with. Secondly, there was a Catholic player in Europe from Croatia who was playing in Germany, so in the famous Bundesliga, you know, top, top tier soccer in the world. And he um, was picked to be team captain for a game, which is an honor. And the team decided for that year they would require at every single game that the captain of their team, and this was a professional team, would have to wear an LGBT rainbow captain's armband. Usually the captain's armband in soccer is one color. He declined because of his faith and was harassed. Also, uh, there have been Muslims who have uh, expressed objection. And in 2018, Iran um, did not broadcast Premier League soccer for one week during Premier League soccer's Rainbow Laces Week. And Premier League is, again, top-tier professional soccer in the world from England. And the Iranian government had paid for the broadcast for the whole season. And even though they were already paying for it, for moral reasons, they chose not to broadcast it because it would be a week of LGBT promotion. So I'm I'm curious what, Jennifer, what what is, is behind this? Are the owners of these teams or the national governments, you know, are they pushing this on these teams at the, you know, or at the international level? I mean, they want to try to look up with the times. I mean, what is the the urge, the the motivation behind this? So first I'll talk about the motivation, and then we'll look at the difference between national teams and professional teams. With motivation, in soccer, now fortunately we don't see this much in the U.S., but because I follow soccer a lot, I'm aware this is a big problem in Europe. Sometimes with fans, there is a problem with really degrading behavior and yells and chants, including degrading chants and yells um, that have to do with sexuality of the players. 
and especially against homosexuals. That's a problem, and that's bad. Nobody should have to be treated that way. But international soccer has, uh, through FIFA, an anti-discrimination program that has five pillars, and they've developed five different ways to counter this problem. For example, financial fines against the team's education programs. So they have a way to deal with this. They don't need to go to, in my opinion, the extreme of saying to the individual players, you must wear this symbol on your body. What's also interesting is that in the rules of international soccer, and this is similar in other sports. Today, though, I'll just use soccer examples because I'm most familiar with them. The rules state that player equipment may not have political, religious, or personal symbol, message, or slogan. And I think that the LGBT rainbow is a political image, a political statement. Yes. Um, so, you know, so one of the claims is it's being used to counter discrimination, but then what's resulting is a new form of discrimination against religious players. Also, in the private teams, the professional teams, it's also about making money, I think. Um, they're trying to show that they're with the times and they're progressive. And we're also just seeing, as we see other causes too, for example, in the U.S. sometimes players have to wear a U.S. military symbol on the uniform, which I, I think is a problem. Everybody wants to use the player's body as a billboard. And the problem I see with the military uniform is in professional soccer, all of our professional leagues, especially you know soccer, but other sports are international, and not everybody on the team is American. You know, would an American playing for a professional league in Venezuela want to wear an image of the Venezuelan military? Probably not. One thing I wonder with this, this is probably more has to do with professional teams and, and less the international, but maybe say more like American, like here, soccer here in the United States, for example. Does it differ from one place to another? Because I can see how in some cities it's going to pay for the city to have pride night or something like that that gives you another kind of you know more merchandise you can sell that gives you another demographic you can market to whereas i can imagine in some cities that's not gonna at least in the u.s it's not gonna go over too well does it differ from one franchise to another so first i think it's important to differentiate between a team having what we would call an affinity night such as pride night on the one hand versus requiring players to wear an image on their body. So if the team has Pride Night, like the Nats, the Nationals, our baseball team here in D.C., in June, they'll have Pride Night. And then in September, they'll have Faith Night. And if you don't want to attend Pride Night, you don't buy a ticket. If you want to attend Faith Night, you organize your community and you bring lots of people and you participate. So there, you're right, it's a marketing thing and it varies somewhat from city to city. Where it's different is when the team then says to the players, you must wear this on your person, on the uniform, in professional teams, and then what I think is even more problematic on a national jersey representing the country. But even though there are differences from region to region, sports are televised and people have a love for teams all over the world, even that they're not close to. I love following Cardiff City in the Premier League, even though they didn't do well this year. You know, even though I'm here in the United States, Iran, the Iranians love the Premier League 
in England, even though they're in Iran. And these sports are broadcast. So that's why we had that example of how the Premier League had an entire week devoted to LGBT issues. But Iran didn't want that coming into Iran, so they cut off the broadcast. So in a globalized world, these things don't stay local. So, but what about the local level? I mean, is it possible we'll have these, I, I mean, are we having already at, at the state level or in little communities, you know, Friday night football right in the South, you know? So what the, kinds of problems are happening locally? So just this last week, the Madison Mallards, which I think is a great name, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, which is a local community level baseball team, made a decision to have a pride event and use the LGBT rainbow, you know, on parts of the uniform. And there were fans locally in Wisconsin who weren't comfortable with this, who voiced their objection. But the team said they wanted to do this. So we're seeing this, and maybe we can talk about this later. There's, this is also happening now down into K through 12 schools in a different way. Well, yeah, so before we move I do want to ask a little bit more about that, about the local and even the very local. But just with that international thing, I mean, that is the point you're making about Iran and and the Premier League. Are there efforts to try to – it seems very difficult in the international – when you're talking about something that's international, to try to be inclusive and respectful of all. As a political movement, the pride movement seems mostly to be an American and European thing. Are other countries kind of being forced to accept this or are there efforts underway to try to say, look, this is a, there's not a consensus about around this kind of issue? Like, how is this being dealt with? So there um, is a, an avenue now for internationally for people to voice an objection and point out there's not a consensus on this. I've started an international petition to FIFA. And it's through um, a group based in Europe called citizengo.org. And the petition will be in 12 different languages. And it simply asks for no political symbols on the uniform. It asks for everybody to be welcome. It's not about one cause or the other. But for other international aspects of it, there's, here me give you two examples of how this is manifesting itself. For one thing, Soccer is so international, and one of the greatest dreams of some of the players in Africa and the Middle East is to get to play in the big leagues in Europe. And they recruit heavily from Africa and from the Middle East. And so there are many players playing in Europe who have very traditional Christian and Muslim religious beliefs. Um, Perhaps also some others, too. There may be some Israeli players I don't know of. And those players are being told, now you must wear this political symbol that is very likely to be objectionable for somebody with deep religious beliefs. Another mechanism that's very complicated, and I'm writing an article on it this summer to help explain it, but for those who are concerned about religious freedom, we need to be aware of the power that international institutions have. The LGBT rights lobby is using FIFA to create what they call a human rights requirement, but actually focuses almost exclusively on LGBT issues. And it's creating a situation so that countries that do not have Western European style laws about sex and sexuality will be ineligible to bid to host tournaments in soccer. 
And there's a huge amount of money involved in this. There's a lot of prestige. It's also very important for the development of local soccer programs to host these tournaments. And so this is a problem. An example is in the 2026 Human Rights Report for the 2026 World Cup, Morocco was one of the finalists. But the report criticizes Morocco very heavily on LGBT issues. However, that report never mentions religious freedom. So if it's going to be about human rights, then religious freedom advocates need to get involved and make sure religious freedom considerations are included and also make sure that these other organizations aren't using a backdoor to create basically a worldwide discrimination against countries that don't have European-style sex and sexuality laws. I wonder, most of this discussion so far has been about, about athletes themselves, but I wonder if you could say a little bit more, you kind of hinted at it when we talked about Pride Nights and things like that, about the fan experience. Yeah, I mentioned taking my kids to a Nats game or since I live in Prince George's County, sometimes we're often torn about should we cheer for the Orioles for Maryland teams or for Washington teams. But so we we go to both. But you you do wonder, like, you have to look it up beforehand or make sure you're not. It's not going to be one of some promotional night for something you object to. I'm like, and especially when you're bringing your children. Some yeah, of yeah, these yeah. pride nights, for example, are geared towards a very adult audience. So my advice is, is to check before you buy your tickets. Also, a fan um, in the South, I can't remember which city, wrote a gracious letter to his local soccer team about his concern about having Pride Night and how this was dividing the community. There were people who didn't share this value, these values. And he wrote, he knew of my interest and he wrote to me and shared the letter with me. And it was really a model, I think, of how to do this right. His letter was focused on being in favor of the sport. He, he clearly disagreed with the political views, but he was trying to focus on something that he shared with everybody in the stadium and the owners of Let's make it about the sport and let's make it about having a great team and let's leave the divisive issues outside. That's really important at a local level for fans to take time to write to their teams and make their voices heard in a constructive way. Well, and it seems like we really need that in terms of not having many things that we can share. This should be something that we could just not have all of the things that divide us and just go watch the game. We're so inundated with this kind of stuff that we need some spaces that are free from it. It's just, it's sad, you know, to see sports get taken over. My tagline for Let All Play is yes to sports, no to politics. Mm-hmm. So what about, though, the local level? You mentioned that these issues even coming up in high school, K through 12. It's especially right now at middle school and high school, but there are hints of it getting down. Also, I've seen it down into elementary school. And this is requiring children to wear an LGBT rainbow on their uniforms, on the team uniforms for a school sports event. And we're now entering what's expected to be the third year in 2019 of what they're a group inside of the United Coaches Association, which is a soccer group, is trying to make annual. And it's been during the third week of September, and it's called Rainbow Laces Week. During 2018, they distributed 70,000 pair of LGBT rainbow laces for middle school and high school students to wear on their cleats on their school teams. And I have found some Catholic schools participating in this. And I, 
I think at an absolute minimum, this program needs to have as one of its policies that this program needs to ask for parents' permission. Because also from what I've seen, there isn't a role for parents. The coaches just are bringing these laces to the kids and are saying, well, now you all need to show that you are what they call allies. Um, And this is for very young children, at least starting with sixth grade. And I think that this is what uh, one lawyer I know would call coerced affirmation or coerced speech, saying to people, okay, now in order to participate, you have to show your agreement with these issues. I object to the coercion, and I also think it's incredibly sad that we can't just go play sports. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jennifer, I... I found, I discovered that there's a, the dicastery, the Vatican dicastery for family, marriage, and life. I think I got those in the right, lady, lady, family, and life. (laughs) Uh, Recently, or not recently, but a few years ago, released a a little document talking about sports and the value it has. So for those who are not, you know, are kind of like, oh, it's just sports, come on. Could you talk a little bit about like what we would lose if, you know, Catholic children or children, just just anybody out of good conscience, out out of for conscience reasons, couldn't participate in a sport because they couldn't wear the uniform. So for one thing, you have the individual not getting to have the experiences of physical development and learning teamwork, uh, learning to share work with others. Also, at a societal level, you lose this mechanism where we have contact with people we disagree with. And we can experience at a relatively simple level with sports being able to get along. And that's where we learn, we exercise, we practice. How do we live with difference? If I am afraid if we lose those mechanisms at a local level with sports, it will be even harder to exercise living with difference at more complex levels. And also in the Catholic tradition, um, we have a bunch of really interesting examples of the role of sports in individuals' lives also through the saints. Um, St. John Paul II has some amazing writings on sports that I would encourage anybody who's interested in this to look up. Yeah, and, and, and he himself was an athlete, a yeah. skier, a kayaker, or canoeer, and yeah, hiker. And, yeah, and, and there's, there's quite a few other examples. Also, even in the Bible, we have metaphors that have to do with athletic references And so if we're no longer participating in these basic activities of human life, such as sports, we're also not going to understand references in our own tradition. One more thing is I think that some people think, oh, well, sports, we don't need to worry about that. I think precisely because sports seem so mundane and simple that we should be concerned about it because it's a front row where we can can hold a line and say, no, we want our society to be continue to be a place where everybody can participate together. And that includes not being forced to wear a political symbol on a sports uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that point about the especially spaces in civil societies, I think about because it it's June and we homeschool our kids. So the library, the public library is one of the places and, and our kids do play sports, though, also in local leagues. So it's like sports in the library are two of the places where our kids are interacting with other kids in the neighborhood who aren't Catholic. But now we're worried about what they may see this month at the library. What are they going to pick up off the shelf if we you can't watch all of them at once? It, it does make these spaces in civil society. 
that it's difficult for everybody to come together in these places. So it really is a loss, I think. Creates, I think, more division in the end than... than oh, definitely. And yeah. also, it's ironic that in the name of inclusion, which is one of the buzzwords that's used for, for example, for putting the LGBT rainbow on sports uniforms, it specifically creates exclusion. And I find it interesting. Uh, I've been looking at a lot of international sports regulations lately, and they already have written into them provisions that you're not allowed to put political, personal, religious images, slogans, messages on uniforms that the at the highest level, some of those behind sports understand they need to protect the sport from encroachment. But so many people are involved in sports that it's a chance to get eyes on whatever your cause may be, if you can get that image onto a uniform. There is something, though, that I do think is a bit of a challenge here. Growing up in Texas, you mentioned football in the South. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was growing up, public prayer before football games was the norm. I, I can't remember if it was before the national anthem or right afterwards, but there was always a prayer. It was Protestant. Me too, in Kentucky, same thing. And yeah, in high school and, and even in college. And I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Texas Tech is there. So when I grew, went to Tech games, that's just I didn't even think about it. That's just what you, what you had. And I did. I started to become aware as I got older that some people didn't like this. And then eventually the practice uh, stopped. And I remember pretty well the pastor at my Baptist church talking about how he never thought he would see the day when we wouldn't have prayer before sporting events, you know, in, in Texas. Uh, so in that sense, when you tried to transform sports into a neutral space, like we're talking to the lo to that local community, it felt like a big like they were really losing something. So I guess what I'm getting at though is I just wonder, is it really possible to take to, to make sports a neutral place? Or, or is there always going to be some kind of dominant and right now the LGBT movement is is ascendant? Is it is it just the case that there's always going to be kind of civil religion in these spaces? What do you think? I think it, it's going to be ongoing navigation and mm -hmm. negotiation. You know, for example, a really important thing for Americans um, as a nation, and I would say also in our culture, is the tradition of the national anthem at sports games. Um, I think that will continue. And uh, the professional um, soccer league that I usually watch, attend, I attend the games, there is a JROTC color guard that um, presents the colors um, and there's singing of the national anthem. And it's very respectful and it is just part of the game. But where I think that we need to and can draw a line is on the issue of what players are required to wear on their uniforms. I think that's a very concrete goal that is realistic. And I think it would be good for civil society and for sports because of the tremendous diversity of who the players are. And also some of these players, professional players um, that I watch, women's soccer, they're very young. They're in their early 20s. They don't know a lot about some of these complicated legal things. And their dream in life that they've worked incredibly hard for is to play soccer. And the reason I'm buying a ticket is to enjoy watching a great soccer match. And so by at least drawing a line at not having these images 
be a requirement for the players to affirm by wearing it on the uniform. I think we can keep the focus mostly on the game as we then also continue to have discussions in society about how to go forward. And also there are other lines that are drawn. Uh, There was just an incident about two weeks ago in Denver, Colorado. Uh, The Colorado Rapids are their professional major league soccer team in men's soccer. And some fans at the game had a banner that was an LGBT rainbow flag with Antifa symbols, the uh, far radical left movement. And it was interesting, the security guards required them to take that down. So also security guards are on the spot to try to determine um, what violates the rules about not having political banners uh, and what's okay. But again, fans can do their thing, whether or not, for example, they want to attend for, uh, you know, Pride Night or Faith Night at a game. But where I draw the line is you shouldn't require every single player on the team to wear an image for whatever special cause is being featured. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, I wonder, to close us out, something practical, what can listeners who they've listened to this and they're concerned, are there ways that they that people can act to claim sports as, as a space in civil society where we can come together and not be divisive? So one of the things I've learned is at a local level for kids' sports teams is I encourage parents to make sure to know what the rules are and know which larger sporting organization your school league is part of so that you know where to go to find the rules if this comes up. Because the number of cases where I've seen where somebody wanted to put a symbol for some cause on a uniform, they actually didn't know what the rules were. Whereas like in soccer, the rules actually say, no, you can't do that. And if you know what the rules are, you can bring the focus back to a discussion about the sport rather than fighting about the issue. Also at letallplay.org, I have some information there. And I'll also um, encourage people if they have questions to reach out. I may not have the answer, but I'm glad to try um, because I want to help equip people to protect sports from this incursion of uh, politics. And lastly, as I mentioned, I'm also trying to petition FIFA just to not allow political symbols, which means petitioning FIFA, we're asking them to uphold the rules they already have against political symbols. And that's at citizengo.org. And I have one more uh, tip. There's a really neat book called Sports and Christianity. That's an anthology of articles by Catholic writers on some of the theology behind the importance of sports in society. So I'd recommend that book. And Dr. Jennifer Bryson, correct? Right. Okay. Let all play, right? Okay. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate it. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast. (laughs) 